My son turns 15 tomorrow. Oh, oh wow. Congratulations. The difference from 14 to 15 is feeling like a decade to me. Like it just like tomorrow, I feel like we're going to advance a decade and I can't go back. And yep. That's because 14 is basically 13, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 15 I... is almost 16. <laughs> Welcome to that episode was We Are Popsicle. In this episode, we'll be offering opinions and reactions to Why the Last Man, Episode 7, My Mother Saw a Monkey. Why? That's a really good band name, by the way. It's also a, it big, it's also a good name for like an adult film. Yeah, <laughs> or a book. Like it's just a great name. The, the kudos to the the episode title. Why the Last Man follows escape artist Yorick Brown after an apocalyptic event leaves him the world's only remaining human with a Y chromosome. Developed for television by Eliza Clark and streaming on FX on Hulu, the show is based on the Vertigo comic series of the same name by writer Brian K. Vaughn and artist Pia Guerra. The episode, My Mother Saw a Monkey, is written by Charlie Jane Anders and directed by Lauren Wolksey. Charlie Jane Anders! Before we continue, final warning there is no possible way to discuss any of this without all of the spoilers so if you haven't yet go watch the episode and come back please i am claire thorne creator of cross-stitched fantasies and joining me today is most of the popsicle squad uh, first kelly sumilano our resident punster pundit punter Panographer, writer, and co-founder of Hex Comics. Hi, Kelly Soup. Damn, that's me. Trying to ban pornography over here. <laughs> I was looking up all the words that started with P. I may not be able to define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> Always. <laughs> we have Philip Kelly, popsicle producer, pop culture tour guide, actor, writer, comedian, Renaissance man. Hey, Philip. Hi. Thank you. I don't nobody <laughs> nobody asked, but thank you. <laughs> Justin Peniston, our fact checker, truth seeker, writer and creator of the Hunter Black webcomic. Hi, Justin. Hi. That was pretty much mostly true. Good. Uh-huh. I'm glad. See, you're a truth seeker. So you immediately were investigating I what I said. That fact as soon as to you said see, it, yes. yeah, absolutely. Um, and last but not least, and not with us today, is Lisa K. Weber. We are giving her a well-earned break from the apocalypse. Um, she is an artist and co-founder of Hex Comics, and she has sent in some of her hot takes about this episode. So we're going to do our best to speak for her um, and about her. And I'm, you know. When you're not here with the rest of us, it's it's fair game. Uh, yes, for all of that. So, episode seven, guys, we oh, joined man. the road trip trio as they got some new wheels for their journey, and three fifty five has some significant shit to work through. Yeah, dead family issues with close contact, and of course that whole you know, holding up the whole world all by yourself, no respite until you crash your camper into a tree. (laughs) I'm just not sure there are enough shoelaces in the world for her. So 
I'm interested to hear what everyone thinks about uh, this, you know, start to a journey. I'm not even sure they really got past the start of this journey. And, uh, you know, before things happened, what's our prognosis for her mental health? Um, and I'm going to throw in here because Lisa has, you know, given us hot takes that cover everything we're going to discuss. I don't want to forget her. Um, her hot take on this little bit of the show is that she appreciates the show adding some more background to 355, but the car accident killed my parents trope is a little overdone in her opinion. So, uh, Kelly Sue. It is a valid hot take, Lisa. However, (laughs) um, I actually really loved getting to see a little bit of like the real world experiences of 355. Because up until now, it's been this sort of nebulous idea that she comes from some trauma. She's sleepwalking. I maybe there is a there was a little bit of a part of me that's like, are we being set up for like a little bit of a Will Graham ism with 355, where it's starting to be like what's real and what's not a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, is she saying? Is she not saying? Exactly. And I was and I it was, this was the first episode where I was like, oh, okay. So there are aspects of her that aren't okay. She's in a very traumatic experience as in everyone else. And her trauma is coming up just like the rest of everyone's. Um, so it felt like it leveled the playing field with her and the rest of the characters instead of her just sort of being like this impervious person that's dragging the humans around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was Very how good. I felt about it. And I Just, don't think her mental health is great. Yeah, no, <laughs> clearly not. <clears throat> Justin. Um, I think Lisa makes a good point. I think she's right that the car accident killing a character's parents is a, a touch cliche at this point. But I also think that's the point. Mm-hmm. I think that the nature, I mean, a car accident is so banal. It's so... Mm-hmm. You know, it has no like. There's nothing hanging there. It's 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 a, it's random chance. Do you know what I mean? And it's a more believable random chance than a plane crash or lightning strike or whatever. You know, whatever have you. And the Winter um, Soldier wasn't there, so yeah, and, we don't have to deal with that either. We don't know that. We don't know that. <laughs> you know, who knows? It, the if crossover Zemo shows up, event of the season. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's the point. I think the fact that you know losing the point is losing her parents is enough and you know car accident is a great way of saying how she lost them almost doesn't matter i think it's almost shorthand for that in in fact um the thing about 355 that's really striking me um that i just reread the entire comic series and there is a touch of this although expressed in a very different way in that all of everything, everything we're describing, including, you know, the family, you know, her issues with being touched, um, particularly by uh, Yorick, and her keeping secrets and her, you know, feel her feeling the need to bear this burden almost alone. It's all about isolating herself from other people, like not wanting to form connections that could be broken. You know what I mean? Like, she doesn't want to be hurt in that way again. I think that's all sort of that feels like what's manifesting itself. Although I do have to say, 
and we'll get into this a little bit later, you know, the show is surprising me. The things that I think I see mm. coming are not coming the way I thought they were. And so, but I do feel like this is a really tried and true, effective and appropriate um, method of saying, look, she's a loner. Here's why it's fucking her up. And since we know that this, you know, these travelers are going to be a unit at some point, at some point it's going to be them against the world instead of them against each other. But we have to, we still have to reach that point. Exactly. <clears throat> I will say that trope, which absolutely it is, um, or not, I, I really did like the visuals of her mm. little hallucination slash dream of waking up in the woods and um, because it was confusing at first, right? I'm like, wait, she didn't, she's, she, how did she end up in the woods? And was, mm-hmm. did something happen in that car, the camper accident that I didn't understand? I, I bought that she just stumbled out. Yeah. You know, and, that's what I yeah, imagined too. Yeah. I couldn't quite figure out what was happening. But then, but then once you see that it's a different car accident, you're like, oh, well, is that what actually happened to her? Is, mm-hmm. is she really actually reliving the step-by-step experience of that and i thought the visuals around it were really really well done um philip what's your uh yeah i'll agree with that claire the the that sequence was insanely well directed and edited um and acted and acted yeah mm-hmm. uh the i think the my favorite moment in this episode was between the the three of them when york was telling her to put her dupes up <laughs> to see that little fight was quite wonderful and i think uh mm-hmm. it, you know a little like a very necessary kind of like i think you have to laugh with your characters and at your characters a little bit as you go and we haven't necessarily been completely allowed to do that like in little bits and pieces here and there um but this was like one of those sequences that uh i think will be seen as uh looking back on it as kind of like that a bonding kind of experience and it was really nice to see mm-hmm. that that scene in there um and uh, uh, it's a nice also to see her open up a little bit when she's being put down in the bed. She's like, I promise this is the last time you're going to have to, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, be the one looking after me, um, which I, I don't think that's going to be true either. But uh, yeah, yeah, little, little but shift it still and... felt isolating, didn't it? You yeah, know? yeah, it did. I loved it. Yeah, it did. No, I'm with yeah. You. Um, well, and I think some... that's a, mm-hmm. the key to her mental health is, is getting to a point where she doesn't feel the need to say that where she's okay saying okay yeah you you can you can help me and and i'll accept that help yeah and i do like the fact that you know going back to the very first episode uh or maybe it was the second episode where she was talking to the president and be like no don't tell anyone we have to get him out of here because people will kill you (laughs) like like she still has the mentality a little bit like i have to get my shoelace because people are going to kill us like she's just yeah. like constantly on the edge of just like people, everybody's going to like kill her or after her, like there, there's no other option. Um, so yeah. like a lot of these things are bubbling to the surface and are, have been consistent, you know, throughout mm-hmm. um, in, in different ways. So I'm, I'm appreciating that about the, yeah. the character's journey as well. She's, yeah. She's absolutely just completely in threat assessment mode. Yeah. Um, but but not able to assess her the threat that she might be because if she's sleepwalking and she's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, clearly she was, you know, she was very antagonistic and and felt threatening to the people she's supposed to be protecting in this episode as well. Um, and Which I love a total mark of 
trauma. Exactly. Yeah. I am on, I'm assessing every possible risk, but, but I'm not able to have Mm self-awareness. Right. Exactly. That, and that I think one of my favorite scenes, um, in this episode was between she and uh, Dr. Mann in the, their little prison room, um, when Dr. Mann's trying to tend to her head and there's that just tension laden moment between, you know, long moment between them of, and the way, um, 355's face changed, you know, during that, that contact and having someone taking care of her that way, it was, oh, that was chilling. It was really, really good. It was a, it was an intimate moment. Yeah. Yeah. It it started to become intimate and personal and, you know, and there was this great, like moment of 355 responding, like in a way you, you know, she craves it and then getting the fuck out, you know, (laughs) like, you know, yeah. Nope. I'm done. Um, I don't want to move on to our next discussion point without noting that Justin just kind of threw away the comment of, I've just reread the entire comic series, um, you know, last night after dinner for while I was eating dessert, whatever. It took me three nights. Oh God. <laughs> anyway. I read fast. I read really fast. Oh. And um, have no children. Which is not, a, no, I have no children. I did, no I did have a sick wife though. So, oh, yeah. well, there that, is that. Part of that is actually me waiting to make sure she's sleeping well. And yeah. so I don't bother her or anything. So I just lay there and I read and let yes. her get settled. You, know? you, you're, you, didn't, you didn't choose to read that to her to help her go to a nice, oh, peaceful slumber. No. no. <laughs> Wasn't it? I wish you could have seen that face of Justin's when he said, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, So, you know, we're in prison uh, or our girls are in prison for a short period of time there and trying to figure out, you know, what that means. And we, of course, with Yorick, have already met the former inhabitants of this prison. And I'm really intrigued to see because I have been as also a comic, you know, reader of the comic series, I have been eagerly awaiting getting to this little, you know, community. Um, so I'm interested to hear what everyone's take is about this little community of, you know, uh, cons, ex-cons. Are we going to call them ex-cons at this point? I mean, they're not. They're escapees, really. They're escapees, yeah. yeah. Um, they certainly seem very industrious and intelligent and sure. seemingly democratic. Um, all of that. Um, Lisa's and, hot take about this was a thing I loved about the comics was the exploration of all the different types of post-apocalyptic matriarchies that could arise after an event like this. The women's prison town is the first place I felt respite from all the apocalyptic stress <laughs> beyond just leaving the podcast altogether today. Um, Philip, I'm I'm eager to hear what you think of this new um, world, this I thought, new little group. The, the, one, the one line that uh, stuck to me was, uh, what if people ask what happened to the guards? Because I'm sure there are women guards. Uh, so it'll be interesting to find out um, what the uh, birth of this little community was and, and how it came to be. I, I also think it's interesting just to, uh, taking a look at, like, um, I don't know, criminals to a degree that uh, 
you know, people who do things in their lives, sometimes really shitty things, uh, aren't, I don't know, like there, there's something about our, our prison system that doesn't um, incorporate uh, change or um, doesn't- Rehabilitation. Re, yeah, rehabilitation. Yeah, that's that's a good mm -hmm. word or for it. Justice that is literally or the, or any of that stuff, you know, it's not really- or, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't really take into account humanity. Transparency. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of bullshit in our prison system. There's uh, profit, there's that, that's our prison system. <laughs> I'd say that's part there's of- There's money. Yeah. Profit right. and exploitation. Those right. are, those are yes. you know, baked right into the concept. Right. Totally. Um, so I kind of, uh, uh, I, I appreciate the look at this uh, at, at prisoners who are now free and have to survive and are doing just fine, you know, uh, and maybe it's mm -hmm. part of the fact that they feel like they have to survive. Um, but I, I think that uh, it's an honest look at, you know, criminals, like they're not always going to be evil monsters for the rest of their lives outside of maybe uh, the crime they committed. Uh, so that, that mm -hmm. I found to be really interesting. Um, yeah, I think that was my my big takeaway from it, uh, mm -hmm. not, not knowing where it's going to go or what's actually going on. And, uh, but, uh, yeah. I would dare lovely. say oh. that a world without men would take away 95% of the reasons that women have to become criminals in the first place. Hey, yes. Nicely stated. Mm. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing as I was watching it. Pretty good chunk of them. Well, and I think it's interesting because you know, the stories we have about prisons and I'm, you know, thinking too, in terms of like stories about prisons in these circumstances, like you can go back to Stephen King's The Stand, mm -hmm. where you have a prison that, you know, where prisoner, uh, prisoners left in lockdown and, and nobody's there to, to let them out of prison. And, and the stories we get around that are, you know, focused so thoroughly on escaping the prison. And you get a very different feel here because mm -hmm. the, the, escape from the prison is clearly about like getting out of what is going to kill them, you know, the confinement of individual cells. But, the, you know, for the most part, uh, I would say either all or a fairly good chunk of the women who were in this prison have chosen not to leave mm -hmm. the, like their group and the area and the, you know, they're staying in a, in a place where they're, reminded every day of this is this is where I was incarcerated and that can't be a, a pleasant thing but clearly there's enough of a relationship and and trust and security among themselves that mm -hmm. that such a large group of them you know we don't know how many from the original population but such a large group of them have chosen to to be there and stay there um, mm -hmm. it's just such a different feel from that kind of um, story yeah I really loved in this group of women um, that are, you know, they're like a family for better or worse. Um, but what I thought was so fascinating about this particular art was the interesting look at a man being objectified the way that women normally are. Mm -hmm. by men. York comes into this scene, a bunch of women who have not seen a dude in a hot minute, regardless of there being no dudes on the planet anymore, right? So here comes this super handsome guy 
who's also the last man on earth. And one of the women strips him naked and sleeps in bed with him. She doesn't do anything to him, but it's like, imagine if it was flip. Yeah. And he starts to feel as he's walking around, like everybody kind of being like, even, even if it's just in their energy, you know, really kind of the way that it can feel sometimes to be a woman walking in the world, you know, I mean, as a lady, when you walk, when you walk into a place and you get the sense immediately that you might be one of the only women around, your body changes. Everything that you do changes because you're like, this might not be great, (laughs) you know? And to see a man put into that situation was fascinating to me. Yeah, It was very subtle. It wasn't what the story arc itself was about, but um, it was fascinating. It's it's interesting that you note that, uh, I guess, because I didn't note it, but I don't think, like, that's my constant, I'm not white, you know, and, mm-hmm. and can't pass. And I mean, I've been in many scenarios where I've been the only person of color in a situation. Yeah. I've been in many scenarios where I was the only non-Asian person mm-hmm. on a street or in the, mm-hmm. or in, mm-hmm. you know, the room. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's a little, <laughs> it's a, it's a little weird and discomforting. Yeah. Um, and you know that's my my defense mechanism in situations like this is was and always probably will be mm. you know fake it till i make it you totally. know <laughs> uh, i mean totally. i might be sweating but that's just because i'm chubby you know that's not because i'm nervous all right <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm not i'm not uh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let them, you know misinterpret yeah. me you know so yeah but i get you i get you i did i did not take that from it in the same way, you know, and I know that dudes by and large, if a woman objectifies them, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we kind of expect it. We're kind of like, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> of course you, of course you do. Well, but that's... we we think that way because that's what we do to people. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. that's you know, and that's the fundamental difference is that a man sitting in that situation being objectified and it's, there's a, there was a sense of threat in all of the interactions with just Yorick and and these women, but it's not the same sense of threat at all. If you, if you go back and rewrite that scene, Mm -hmm. all of those scenes um, and put a woman in these scenes, you have a very, very different show. And, and and the way that I instantly think about how terrifying the, opposite reality would be yeah Yeah. to be the very last woman on earth Mm -hmm. oh my god right and and all of those little innocuous statements that they're making to him you know he's able which i really did appreciate yorick in in this episode it's the first time i really feel like his humor is really working for me in terms of Mm -hmm. this is a good positive character element it's allowing him to 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 talk to and engage with these women in in kind of the right way, or at least the way that you know I'm just I'm enjoying at the mm-hmm. moment. But <laughs> but all of those little innocuous statements, boy, they would have felt different if there had been all men and a woman sitting at the table. It it just yeah. well the huge differences uh, 
the women are straight up about what his risks are. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, look. Yeah. You know, we might decide to kill you. We might decide, yep. you know, that you're a da- you pose a danger. I mean, they 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 kind of put that out front. That yeah. would not happen in a world with a woman right. and a bunch of men. You know, mm-hmm. women men would not say, by the way, there's an excellent <laughs> chance one of us is going yeah. to rape you. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the only the only piece of fiction where I can remember something like that happening is and where is our friend Brian Dillon? Alien, Alien three. three. I was thinking the same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking the same um, thing. I, totally. There is a there is another piece of film uh, that this rings pretty close to. If you guys have seen The Beguiled with Clint Eastwood, where he wakes oh, up uh, sur- like he's injured, a civil war, and he's taken to a, a, a place with nothing but women uh, mm. who all, like there's no men around. They don't keep men I around. I just saw the remake with Nicole Colin, Kidman Colin, and uh, Colin Farrell, is it? Colin Farrell, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's that, but also in pop culture, anytime we're treated to a women's prison, it's usually exploitation. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of the genre uh, of, of film when we talk about women being in prison, unless it's like a serious drama or something like that. Um, and then it's usually like in a psych ward or something. So we, we're, we're never given like real looks uh, at what prisoners, women prisoners would actually be like. Uh, it's all usually mm-hmm. through a male's point of view. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then it gets sure. really then it gets really sexual again and you know kind of weird the, the, our d- discussion about the subtext versus coming right out and saying what you're going to do it also brings up for me just how difficult it is to describe to even to men who and i love both of you philip and justin but even to men who i feel like understand what we're, we're saying mm-hmm. how absolutely difficult it is to convey to men how yeah how there's always a threat, almost always a threat behind interactions with men when, when you don't know a man and they're, they're, you know, even within like flirting and, and just things that seem fun and engaging Mm -hmm. for women, there's always a background threat. There's always, and here's three, you know, we're back to 355 and her constant threat assessment mode. Again, women constantly in threat assessment of, okay, is, you know, what does that compliment mean? What does, and the compliment might mean something in one situation, but you add four other guys in the room and it's a different meaning. And it's just, I, I think there's a lot I definitely of definitely don't like that. take the compliment the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Respond the way you're supposed to uh-huh. respond. And um, there's a lot of stuff that you can, you can really explore, um, yeah. and that's going on in this episode. It's yeah. I think they're really hitting it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's interesting that you bring that up because like, you know, I worked for almost 30 years in the restaurant industry mm-hmm. and like, I, I never attributed it to my maleness as much as to my size. Cause I'm a big dude, you know, but my whole public persona was, you know, crafted around making people, particularly women, feel comfortable mm-hmm. because I knew that when I walked up, people didn't feel comfortable. You know, let me tell you, big, hairy, black dude, not the ideal <laughs> candidate for, oh, table o' Karens, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know where, where there's, you know, freaking, like, you know, food always tastes better in a booth, you know, and, and that's oh that kind of table, you know, oh my God. and so, I mean, I have always been cognizant of the fact that I'm seen as a threat, 
always i've always been cognizant of that but i've always attributed it to the to the sum total not mm. just to my maleness do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. you're just a big well, dudes don't scare me you know and honestly all of that is really hard to quantify even to ourselves as women sure. because we do it so automatically like i didn't i didn't even think about how i did that until i was well into my like late 20s early 30s probably and when i was like oh I am now woke to my own condition in a way that I just had never considered before. Yep. It's always fascinating. Uh, we're going to go to a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to head back to DC um, and talk about our folks um, making it work in the Pentagon. Um, so, or not. Or not. <laughs> so hang with us and we'll be right back. All right. Well, welcome back. We are headed back to DC where the Yorick secret is slowly unraveling. Kimberly rejoices about the news that a Y chromosome has survived, immediately jumping into plans to repopulate the earth with men so that women can return to being a nation of mothers and proclaiming Yorick's survival God's will. At the same time, she's dealing and not dealing with her own mother which predictably, I think, ends tragically for the former First Lady, Marla Campbell. Stunningly played, I will add, by Paris Jefferson. If there's an MVP in this episode, I'm giving it to her. Um, Before we uh, move into everybody else's uh, takes on everything happening in DC, um, Lisa had a couple of hot takes. Uh, One was Kimberly's new obsession with York being chosen by God so we can become a nation of mothers again is so batshit. I love it. (laughs) And I agree. Um, And also, um, if you shed even half a tear, your boys will have to split it. Ouch. Do not tell people how to grieve. Through her stoicism, I was still feeling Kim's anguish plenty. Of course, then she ends the episode with some well-earned scream crying, which secondary MVP to Amber Tamblin for that scene Ooh, as well. So, so good. Also, I discovered Paris Jefferson played Athena in Xena Warrior Princess. So I'm just throwing that out there. Anyway. Um, I, um, I mean, I know enough to know that there's no guarantee that Charlie Jane Anders wrote that line. If you share it even half a tear, your boys will have to split it. But God damn mm-hmm. that yeah. freaking i felt like Woo! i just gotten jacked in the jaw that was yeah. i was like god yeah. that is some harsh shit yeah that whole conversation was f- brutal oh, oh just yeah. like that was just like the opening salvo the, the next couple of lines were also just co- like complete like here's my sword and now i'm gonna cut off all the other body parts too it was amazing it was Anyway, Kelly Sue. As only mothers oh. and daughters can do to us. Yes, exactly. It's so true. I, so. I mean, like, oh my God. I just, I, it took me back to my sister and my mom, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a son. Kelly Sue has a son. What's your take on mothers and daughters, Kelly Sue? Right? Well, well as, daughters, though, right? as a daughter to a mother, yes. <laughs> I have, uh, I come from a very long line of, uh, What's the word? <laughs> uh, very strong Southern ladies that do not mince words. 
Um, no one in my family has ever said anything like this to me. However, when I was watching, um, when I was watching this go down, what it said to me was, um, motherhood can be in itself a trauma and you can have an expectation of what your life is going to be like when you become a mom. And there were a few lines that Marla Campbell had in this episode that really hit me. Obviously what she says to Kimberly, which is like, wow, ouch. But also what she says to Jennifer she says, why you, you were a terrible mother. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, after she and says, you made me think I was crazy. You, you made me think I was crazy. And it should have been one, it should have been my husband. It should have been one of, it should have been one of my boys because you were a bad mother. And, and then she says the same thing essentially to Kim. So it's like, I think that there's a really beautiful narrative of if I'm a good mom, I'm going to be spared. I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay. Nothing bad's going to happen to me because I'm fulfilling this divine duty that was given to me by God. And then to see that is not what happens. <laughs> you can be the best mom in the world and life isn't always going to rise up to meet you, you know? And I just thought like, this is some really powerful shit that we're starting to walk into with some of these lines that are so subtle. But I mean, that the, those two lines hit me in the same way. Why you, you were a terrible mother. I can't even imagine someone saying that to me. And here's the thing as a viewer, like, did anything that Marla said seem untrue? No. You know what I mean? No. Look at, I mean, because I'm sorry, Diane Lane, but your two kids are fucking shitbags. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, so, you know, where's mm -hmm. the common denominator? It is thee and your aforementioned <laughs> poisoned womb. You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Um, I can't and, get over know, the poisoned that, womb thing. Well, she said her own daughter is just brutal, you know? It's, yeah. but it's, but I mean, we've all commented on how mm -hmm. tightly wound Kimberly's morning has been, you know, like yeah. it's been super uptight and, you know. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I appreciated Kimberly's description of hero as well. When she's exploring, oh yeah, like she's, she looks like a drug addict. I'm like, <laughs> does she really? Like she doesn't look like a, she doesn't look like one necessarily. It was harsh. I'm like, well, good Lord. She looks like a healthy drug addict. Yeah. She, <laughs> she does kind of look like a drug addict. Actually, so. <laughs> um, I was completely spun around in this episode by the, like everything Kelly Sue was, was talking about um, you know, being a good mother and feeling like you have this like divine directive. And if you do things right, things will, will end up okay. Um, when we, when we had, when Kimberly was having the conversation about, you know, we have to do this because it is God's will. It is like, she just immediately went to like, clearly Yorick is here because it is God's will. And it's, 
just put me back and very squarely into that place of, you know, what I was taught growing up, which, which was like the, the, the perfect storm of catch 22s and gaslighting my, my entire upbringing of, well, if you're doing what we, we think you should be doing, then we're going to tell you that you're doing God's will and you have to seek God's will. But if you don't know if something bad happens and you don't know why it's happened, it's because you don't know God's will. And that's also your fault that you didn't know God's will. And just around and around and around and around. And it's just the, the tunnel vision that people allow themselves with this whole belief system of, Mm. oh yeah, this it's God's will that York is here. Okay. Well, Kimberly, is it God's will that all of your men died Mm -hmm. as well? Was that God's will? And, and who's saying what God, like somebody out there, you know, outside the Pentagon, I'm sure is saying that it was God's will that all of the men died and, and that we don't have men anymore. So now we have competing. It just, mm-hmm. oh, it's just such a mess. And you can't argue against any of it because it's just a shifting sand mm-hmm. debate of no, my, my understanding of God's will is the correct one. And that's yeah. my sigh of exhaustion. It's an exhaustion. It is, it is, it is a, it is a headspace that I will forever have to be teaching myself to not be in because mm-hmm. of, you know, upbringing, yeah. but I thought very well depicted, like, yeah, that felt true and honest and just like, oh yeah, that's exactly where Kimberly is going to take this. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Philip, how, how yeah. traumatic was it for you? <laughs> I, you know, the, 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 Normally, I don't really get uh, tied up in the big dramatic moments where somebody like screams into the air, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's, it's so easy to get to do it wrong. And this show, this episode, mm-hmm. like really like that was a punch. Um, the, the silence of her walking across the building until you hear the last little swipe of her mm-hmm. foot. Um, just like that little subtle moment was so good. Um, yeah technically like this episode was pretty great uh, is it horrible of me to say that i loved the visuals of her falling off the building it looked like a ballet like it it looked yeah it was so graceful and just Mm -hmm. peaceful yeah Mm -hmm. anyway i'm sorry yeah Yeah. no 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 Mm -hmm. i i agree um the i am having uh, a hard time finding sympathy for uh our president um Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a, a little bit of work for me to get me back on her side. Uh, just the choice. And she's in a difficult spot. I get it. She's in a very difficult spot. Um, and I feel like uh, every step of, like I, right now I'm caring more about Kimberly's journey than I am about Jennifer Brown's story. Um, and I find that to be really interesting. Like I'm more intrigued about what's happening to Kimberly and her emotional state and kind of what's going on there. And the Jennifer Brown stuff, I'm like, just say something. Like, it's very frustrating for me to watch her on screen right now, um, thinking that she has to own this herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, yeah, Kimberly's response is very over the top as far as, you know, uh, uh, you know, there being a, a one guy out there and, you know, it's, it's very it's kind of crazed. But I think some of that craze comes from like uh, uh, 
being right, being to some degree, like uh, having all of her uh, uh, concerns come, you know, actually coming true. You know, like she's everything that she said from the beginning to her is is correct now. Um, you know that there's something else going on that Jennifer Brown is hiding something, uh, this and that and that and this. Uh, and I, I go back to the first episode, me feeling kind of weird about her about Jennifer Brown's. Uh, decision not to tell literally anybody else and to keep this all to oneself because that's a big secret to keep and mm -hmm. I, I don't think and, and we talk about 355 just reacting like no everybody's going to kill you you know it's it's um if there's a complex set of dominoes that have been set up uh that i think are going to crash down on top of jennifer brown because I, I i'm having a hard time connecting to her journey right now as like i think it's good storytelling sure but mm -hmm. i'm personally like i'm having a hard time connecting to her because she's even with uh beth she won't tell beth like it's all very and you get where it's coming from but i don't think it's necessarily the wisest choice to do what she's talking about beth yeah beth right? yeah i mean if she did one smart thing this uh, this episode would it was not <laughs> telling beth yeah i guess what was yeah, yeah. well and i think oh. i think the one because I kind of feel the same way as you about Jennifer Brown. Um, and she's not a particularly significant character in the right. comics, not right. the way she is here. Right. Um, but I, I do think that you are not giving her credit for the fact that, I mean, you make it sound like she's protecting herself. And I do feel like she's protecting both her son oh, yeah. and a fragile nation. Sure. Like I said, I understand where she's coming from. I just don't know if the way she's going about it is the wisest way to do it. Like it seems is to there, be- what, what do you think she should be doing to protect her son and nation that she's not doing? Uh, well, I think that, uh, I, I, I just mean, think what... the, the way she's handling it is very dishonestly. Like I, I get that there has to be, you have to be careful with stuff like this, but I mean, to drive a woman to insanity. Like if you're putting other people specifically in harm's way to protect someone else, I, I think there are issues there. I, I think then you're willing to put other things in, in harm's way. To protect, Wait, are, you, uh, so are you putting Marla's suicide on Jennifer Brown and not on the fact that, I mean, cause Marla, was, Marla didn't come to the episode suicide, suicidal. She came to the episode saying, let's go home. Yeah. You know, and I would say that the revelation that their home was gone mm -hmm. was the breaking point, not the gaslighting. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that you have to put the suicide on um, President Brown I, in I'm order not, to put not... to place blame on the way she handled Marla. I think yeah. what she did to Marla, like, absolutely contributed to, like, it, a horrible right. gaslighting and, and and implying that someone is insane is that is very it damaging to someone it, in that. It absolutely, no, absolutely contributed it to her mental state. Yeah, but I, I'm what not, should I'm not she have done the... instead? That's what I'm. What should she have done instead? I think well, when Marla comes across uh, someone and actually literally sees someone, I, I I don't I see I don't see an issue with being honest with people. What if she had told? Yeah, I, what I, if I she think, told I think Marla? You, so you don't you you're you, you're comfortable with? I'm going to be honest even though it jeopardizes my son and the only living male. 
How do we know? You, it you, think, on, we, you think honesty is more important than that? How do we it's know? It's okay it, to say that. I mean, how do we know it jeopardizes <laughs> the only living male? Like that's that's taking away trust from other people immediately. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, it is. Have people yeah, yeah. have people because don't forget that these people that that those two that mm -hmm. the the wife of the president and and the current president, the, the wife of the former president, and the are are ideologically completely different. Yeah, sure. they don't share the same beliefs. Yeah. So you're going to trust that person. We you're going to trust the person I, who's going to come who's going to come at it from. Think about Kimberly's perspective. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a gift from God. Do you know what I mean? Like this man is, I'm, I find it mind boggling that you think that <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm really curious to see how you think that, you know what? Absolute trust in a world, in an untrustworthy world is the way to behave. I think, I think that, I think that there's a possibility you could have told Marla the truth and she mm -hmm. could have, appealed to her sense of I'm trying to protect my son the way you would also want to be protecting your son in this mm -hmm. situation and that Marla that doesn't might... feel like an incredible gamble of course it does aren't there certain things you just don't gamble with well in this I, instance I, everything is an incredible gamble. yeah I was gonna say let me, let me send my son out gamble. with this woman I don't know across the country that's in the middle of an apocalyptic event <laughs> Like that yeah, is yeah. just as much of a gamble as trying to get people on your side to protect but, your son. Like, I would say, like, I would actually say it's it's far less of a gamble I don't because know. here I know that I can't trust the people here in a constant state of moving. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I, look at look, look at all the. I think what she did was shitty. By. I think what she did was shitty. But I think it's yeah. easy to sit here and say, "Oh, gaslighting's bad," and not look at the. I mean, like. But we're She's not in an untenable situation. Yeah, no, we we absolutely, yeah, I think we absolutely acknowledge that. It's just, it, yeah, there, it's shitty decision. They're shitty decisions. I would love, I would love for someone to say something that didn't sound crazy to me to say this is a, this is, this is a great alternative. Like, I'm going to trust someone who I don't like or trust. That's literally what you're saying. I'm going to uh, trust my son's life mm -hmm. with someone I don't like or trust as opposed to someone I don't know at all. That's an easy, that's easy math to me. <laughs> uh, I, like, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, would I don't know. maybe disagree with that. I, when you're in the middle of a post-apocalyptic event, you sometimes have to put your trust into people. Uh, and, and we see Casey's reaction. Yeah, it's a little extreme. It's, it's focused on God, but it's still, we need to protect him so that we can figure out what's going on. It's the you're saying, I'm going to go with the devil I know instead of the devil I don't. Uh, I'm and I'm saying, saying that the person I don't know is, a, I, I don't know that that person's a devil at all. I'm saying, know? but I know I, that this one is. I'm saying either decision is a tough decision. You can't say one is better or worse than the other. I'm going to send my son out into uh, unknown I, territory to I, I know, having that, no idea that he could die within one day. Like that's, I, I agree. I absolutely agree with that. But it's like saying, saying it's, one, it's one crazy is, to me to, to simply be like, you know, Saying it's one, one decision, thing to say I don't sympathize or I have a hard time following Jennifer I, Brown. I do. I do. It's another thing to, I mean, because there's an element of villainization going on here, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I really hope that we're never put in a, in a, in a tough spot like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know? I hope so, too. But I would very conceivably act villainously. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, my hot takes at this point are going to sound lukewarm, don't you think? <laughs> yep. 
sure the camper ride ever, am I right? So much. <laughs> I feel we haven't even touched on Beth enough either. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. We'll get there, I, I'm sure. There'll be time. Absolutely. We, yeah, didn't get to Beth, but yeah. Wow. That was amazing. Beth, I will say that the Beth thing is like the biggest 180 from the comic in, mm-hmm. of, yeah. that's mm-hmm. happened in the show so far. I did appreciate um, the Easter egg of her saying that her best friend's name was Sydney. That cracked me up. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, because she's supposed mm-hmm. to be in Australia. Australia anyway, yeah. um, we're <laughs> regrettably, yeah. I could sit and listen to Justin and Philip discuss slash debate slash doing, you know, their thing yes. all day long. We're going to move through our hot takes though, because, you know, we're getting close to the end of our episode. Yeah. Um, we got to find I, ways to fire you up early on. I know. <laughs> um, I just want to give a shout out to the opening shot of this episode, which was following Ampersand as he was like, you know, meandering through the little parking yes. lot. And we just get that very low camera angle of all of the dead bodies and the dead dog. And it was so Stephen King oh, to yeah. me. Oh, that felt really, really nice. Um like Kelly Sue said, that is the shortest camper ride ever. Like I was legitimately shocked. I'm like, really? That's all we get of the happy camper life. (laughs) Damn it. Uh, My favorite quote, um, I'm going to give to Jennifer Brown this episode. Can you identify someone's (laughs) chromosomes from 10 feet? (laughs) Oh, it was really, really good. Um, and wouldn't it have been nice if they had hired more secret service, you know, female secret service agents when they mentioned that little detail about how like we're down to like 35% or whatever staffing. It's like, yeah, yeah, you would be, wouldn't you? Anyway, um, to kind of finalize, um, and wrap up with the remainder of Lisa's hot takes, um, as well. Uh, York and man banter is chef's kiss. Perfect. And definitely her favorite part of the mm. show right now. Um, <laughs> we haven't talked about her, um, but, and Lisa's trying to keep an open mind about her, but Beth is the worst, which yeah, seems like it. Um, and Regina Regina took a real backseat in this episode to let Kim's crazy shine, but I anxiously await more tasty villainy from her. Oh, I'm Absolutely. so glad to call her Regina Regina. Regina Regina. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Bless it. All right, everybody. That episode was. What word do you have for us, Philip? That episode uh, was. That episode was uh, tasty. Mm. <laughs> All of that grub. Prison, that prison, prison camp job. grub, huh? Mm-hmm. So I had a reaction from Kelly Sue, and I don't know why. Oh, literally, you had the word tasty in my head. <laughs> you got cleared. You've been cleared. Ah, uh, and I don't even know why, because I don't even feel that it's tasty. Yeah, yeah. That, I was like saving I to come up with cut, the word with in a moment. That moment, I was I chose my word in the moment, and that was I must have caught the Philip wave or something. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess so. Uh, Kelly Sue. <laughs> Should I put you on the spot to come up with another word right now? First word. That episode it. was a not so happy camper. Oh, nice. Love it. Love it. Uh, wow. Uh, wow. Bringing it home. Not so happy Amazing. <laughs> Love it. Bringing it home. Justin. Uh, quite. Uh, that episode was the best so far. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we could argue with that, really. 
Um, I'm going to say that episode was homey because if I'm in the apocalypse and I have a bunch of prison sisters there, I absolutely want a little picnic table outside in my verdant garden oh. area with lights hanging, you know, until nine o'clock at night. It is going to be and... a Pinterest dream. Yeah. <laughs> Decorating in the apocalypse. Absolutely. Um, before we leave, we always like to, you know, we've always got other things that we're loving and that these uh, discussions prompt for us. So I'm going to hand it over to Justin to give us a recommendation of something, anything out of the great universe of things that we love. Um, go for it, Justin. I'm going to recommend, and I, this is actually something I need to do myself, um, but I've actually made the purchases. It's in my reading list. You know, This most episode of Why the Last Man was written by uh, Charlie Jane Anders, a trans woman who also happens to have been one of the founders slash, you know, who brought the, the initial energy to the website io9.com, which is a personal favorite of mine, actually, for going for, you know, geek perspectives. Um, and, uh, you know, as we said, this is, I certainly thought this was the best episode so far. I saw some of the writing was really crisp. And Charlie Jane Anders is a writer. I mean, she doesn't, mm -hmm. As far as I know, this is her first TV work, as far as I know. But she's been working in prose for a long time. Um, I think if, uh, God, what was the name of that book? Hold on. I just had it and then forgot all about it. See, fact um, checker. There he goes. Checking all facts. the Birds in the Sky yeah. is the book that's currently in my reading pile that I want to get to. And it just got moved higher up the list. Yeah. Because... Um, I thought she really killed this episode. Yeah. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with supporting a writer who doesn't happen to be another cis head straight, you know, freaking white man. Um, and yeah, I think if you're looking for something good to do with your reading time, I think you should give some attention to Charlie Jane Anders. She, she really mm -hmm. killed this. Um, and I'm going to be digging further into her bibliography. I have read that book and I also would recommend it. Absolutely. Nice. Very good. I'm, I'm waiting right. for the day Justin recommends for Philip to keep his mouth shut. That's, that's, <laughs> the, day I'm that's, the, that's the day I'm waiting for. I will never oh. make that recommendation. <laughs> I might tell you to shut the fuck up, but I'll never, I'll, that'll never be one of my recommendations. I'm not wasting my recommendations. He's going to say shut the fuck up, but in that really good way of yeah. like, I can't yeah. believe you just said that. Yeah, yeah you guys would be like, God, he gets black sometimes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think he said motherfucker every other word of that sentence. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is amazing. Well, this was an amazing episode. It was great to talk about and discuss. Um, if you liked this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe to Popsicle on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or wherever you collect your podcasts. Tune in next Friday for another That Episode Was, our discussion of next week's new episode, Ready, Aim, Fire, which doesn't sound ominous at all. And if I may, right. there was plenty in this episode that we didn't get to discuss this time around. Oh, yeah. Hit absolutely. us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Continue the conversation with us, and we will gladly engage you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Give us all your takes on Beth and what you think that's going to be all about. Good Lord. Uh, we are also currently releasing new episodes of Murder Husbands, our deep dive appreciation of Brian Fuller's Hannibal every Tuesday. 
Follow at Popsicle Pod on all social medias and visit our website, popsiclepod.com, for all the latest news and announcements. That's popsiclepod, P O P S K L P O D. This has been a Popsicle podcast production. I just want to say that the most, one of the most, the most revealing thing on the subject that we just left, Mm. the most revealing thing that ever happened is like, I just had picked up on the fact that it seemed like everyone I was speaking to that day in the restaurant, all the women had some reference to receiving a dick pic. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I was like, God, a lot of women have received. And so I, I, I decided and I went and asked every woman work, working, you know, have you ever received an unsolicited dick pic? And all of them had, like all but one, I think. I had a guy send me a dick pic of a dead guy, a dead guy's dick pic. What? Like it was, it was both misogynistic and sadistic. It was, it Jesus. was a, yeah. Well, I that used to work is... with a bunch. I used to work for a bunch of law enforcement guys. So oh, they thought it was, I was like, Please tell me what this context was. Yeah, no, they thought it was hilarious to send me crime scene photos. Yeah, I unfortunately have received many unsolicited. That's astonishing to me. It's absolutely astonishing to me. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I'm a mama's boy. So, you know, such a thing would be unthinkable, you know? Yeah, I'm like, um, I don't understand, like... Walk me through like your trajectory <laughs> for this action. Yeah, what, what are you yeah, aiming for? I don't, yeah, legitimately, I yeah. I was able no, to I was able to get there a little bit with one of these dudes. This was my online dating days, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What's the hope?" And this dude was like, "That you'd be impressed." And I was like, "Cool." Never I appreciate you very honestly answering my question. This is not the way to do it. Just for you moving forward. You ever like, like I have a, a friend um, and she gave my other friend, her, her, you know, her partner, mm. she gave him flowers at work. You know, had, mm-hmm. him, had him delivered to him publicly at work for his mm-hmm. birthday. Didn't go over yeah. well. Do you know what I'm saying? It kind yeah. of embarrassed him a little. It was weird. And yeah. she, you know, and she didn't, she wasn't trying to embarrass him. She yeah. just did for him what she would have enjoyed having done for her. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I, I often wonder, is that what plays into it? You know, because like, it has you know, to be, ladies, right? send me, yeah. send me but your, also you know, something that men would pics. want, just like an unsolicited picture of like a bodiless, faceless vagina. Boobs, yes. Maybe more a boob. Vagina, but yes, yeah. maybe not unless it's staged to look like here you can have my. See, that's the yeah. thing. Dick pics are not staged to say here's this inviting thing you can have and no. you can take it and use me, right? They yeah. want men want the 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 it to be this like inviting porn. Yeah, picture. and I Art think that directed. plays into a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> but totally. But the ugly side of it is that I just think a lot of men do it to to wield power. they get off on it they oh, yeah. they, they wield yeah. power that way and so it's like crazy. it's like trolling yeah so but it's with more force that you can be so insecure in your sense of personal power yeah. that that oh. seems well like here's the thing if this to. is your kink dude yeah no 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 everybody I'm is I'm not, I'm everybody not is 
I'm oh, not no. kink shaming. I don't think you are. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to be like, <laughs> once I know you, we can have conversations about kink all day long. But don't just. <laughs> and there's our opening episode snippet. <laughs>